Hey, it's Michael Chapdelaine, and we're here on All Hi, Strings folks, this is Considered. Hi, this is Elliot Fisk, and this is All Strings <laughs> Considered. Ah, ciao a tutti, Aniello Desiderio. Hi, this is Bruce Holzman, this is All Strings Considered. All String Considered. My name is Dennis Azavagic. Hi, my name is Eugenia Moliner. We are the Cavatina Duo. We are here at the GFA convention. Having a really a blast. I'm Caroline Espinosa. Hi, this, this is, is all, all strings considered. considered. I'm Miguel Polito. <laughs> you forget him up. And this, this is, is all strings Hi everyone, and welcome back to the second installment of highlights from this year's GFA in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories, and by Audible.com. To get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com slash allstrings. There are over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I've got a ton of great music I want to share with you today, but beyond that, this episode will also serve as a preview for the rest of the season. Every solo artist and chamber group you hear today will be featured in a full-length episode. The first portion of the show will focus on solo concerts and hopefully introduce you to some music you've never heard before. Then it'll be a little bit of ASC 101, where I get to share with you some of the things I learned from the technique workshops and masterclasses. Then we'll hear about a few new projects I came across during our great hangs at Dish on Market. And finally, some ensemble music from the Tantalus Quartet, Les Frères Meduse, and Cavatina Duo. I felt so inspired as this GFA came to a close. And if you missed it, I think even in hearing these recordings, you will too. So if you feel the need to hit pause, go pick up your guitar, go for it. I won't be mad. Because of multiple flight delays, I missed the opening solo concert given by Rovshan Mamedkuliev, last year's GFA winner. But my friend Sean Sumimi was there, so here he is now to give you a few of his impressions of the concert. Ravshan Mametkuliev. It seemed rather controversial when he won, perhaps because of the program he played and... Or he played Capriccio Arabe. Yes, he did. Which I think maybe was part of the controversy. And yeah. I was really surprised to find Capriccio Arabe from Targa on a serious program because it's one of those pieces that is so well known. So many of the classical guitar legends have played and recorded it. David Russell, Pepe Romero, uh, Manuel Barrueco, to just barely start a very long list. It's really hard to find something new to offer on a current program, and so generally, guitarists avoid that piece. This year's GFA saw a lot of these classical guitar standards, like Capriccio Arabe, as well as Asturias and Sevilla from Albenis, and it was really nice actually to see the new perspectives on these traditional, very classic pieces. People weren't sure what to make of it, or perhaps it just wasn't enough to show what kind of a caliber performer is on stage. But I think that night, that year, it was clear that he was stronger than the other three. It was fascinating to watch in 2013 when he came back to give a full concert as the last year winner was how he totally proved himself to be worthy of the title and... I heard it was awesome. He played a very compelling program, packed full with plenty of opportunities for him to display various sides of his thinking, his performing, and him overall as a musician. A native of Azerbaijan, on this year's program and on his Naxos Laureate series disc, Roshan plays selections from a set of 12 folk-influenced miniatures originally written for piano by Azerbaijani composer Fikret Amirov. Roshan makes these arrangements sound absolutely beautiful on the guitar, as if they were written with the guitar in mind. I'm going to play you number two, Ashug's song, number five, titled Lyrical Dance, and then a lively number six titled On Hunting.
Over a locally brewed post-concert beer at the bar in the Louisville Hyatt, Alex Dunn from University of Victoria had this to say of Marcin okay. Dila's concert. Test one, two, three. Okay. It's a wonderful. I remember as a, a student telling myself one day the guitar world will resemble the piano world in that there are uniformly high you know, standards across the board. There's enough variations in personality that the repertoire will be wide open. And it's, that's very much the case I think now. Marcin embodies this movement perfectly with his mastery of large-scale works, his unapologetic playing of classical repertoire, playing it in such a way as to allow its simplicity and elegance to be utterly captivating. And his debuts of new works like Lindbergh's Mano a Mano show a truly creative and inspiring player. There is already an entire All Strings episode on Marcin, uh, episode 18, from June 15th. So if the piece you're about to hear by Diabelli makes you want to hear more from Marcin, you can hear his interview and even some exclusive audio on that episode. What else about the program? I was struck by the Diabelli. You rarely hear the sonatas played in their original format. You know, most of us um, grew up knowing the Bream, I don't even want to call it a version, it's sort of like a... Uh, he changed the keys from the F major of the first and second movements into A major. And then he borrowed two other movements and inserted it and added a lot of notes, dropped octaves down and that like kind of thing. Sort of like that. It was, it's like an amplification of the Diabelli. But it's a pleasure to hear it in its original form, yeah. in the right key, and play with such you know classical period sensibility and just straightforward musicality. It's fantastic. It's like hearing a Haydn sonata or yeah. Mozart. Uh, it was. Great. It's Early totally Beethoven. No. There are two other Diabellis that should be played too. There are three sonatas in that publication. And, and those other two are really nice. They're all equally good. Two? There's three in the Opus 29 uh -huh. set. The Diabelli sonatas, along with the Matieca sonatas, a number of large-scale Matieca sonatas, and then smaller sonatinas, and they are very much on the level of the Diabelli. They really need to be played for concert. Structurally, they're really sound. It was a bohemian... Can you spell that name? M-A-T-I-E-G-K-A, Matieca. Matic, a top piano in the studio along with guitar, and DeBailey was uh, also a pianist. I think they bring keyboard structural sensibility into their pieces. Marcin's manager was kind enough to give All Strings permission to play this live recording of Dila playing the first movement of Diabelli's Sonata in F major, Opus 29. Enjoy.
nylon guitar overload tends to start setting in for me at about midweek. But thankfully, a barefoot Michael Chapdelaine was there to help add levity and music from another side of the guitar spectrum. Folk, rock, blues, and fingerstyle. Chapdelaine began his concert with a great medley of another kind of classic guitar. Here's a little bit of audio from the beginning of the concert. Think you can name the tunes? Continuing his refreshing blend of rock and roll arrangements, incorporating his own bluesy improvisations into songs like Come Together by the Beatles, along with his own highly autobiographical compositions, Chapdelaine reminded us all that for the most part, we picked up the guitar because it's fun. Here's a recording of one of Chapdelaine's compositions that he played that day, from his album Land of Enchantment. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I wrote a lot of music about how Mexico seemed to me, how it looked and smelled and felt. And this is uh, the title track from the CD, Land of Champions.
So I have music from two more solo performers to play you before we move on to the workshop section of today's podcast. There were, of course, many more solo performers at the festival. I can't fit them all here, but we will hear a couple more of them during the technique segment that's coming up. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Audible.com. And for the listeners of All Strings Considered, Audible is offering a free audiobook download to check out their service. I love audiobooks. It's what keeps me sane on those long drives between college teaching jobs. One good one you might want to check out is Musicophilia, Tales of Music in the Brain, written and read by Oliver Sacks. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com allstrings. Again, that's audibletrial.com allstrings. Okay, a Sunday morning concert on the last day of a guitar festival in a city where one of the food groups is bourbon makes for a slightly low-energy crowd. Despite her time slot, Laura Young's concert was one of the most lovely and interesting programs I heard at this year's GFA. But the first 10 minutes were bumpy, beginning with a very moody and I think borrowed guitar that just wouldn't stay in tune, coupled with the most aggressive introductory chords I have ever heard to Bach Chacon. Frankly, I was worried. But so often first impressions are totally meaningless. The rest of the concert was excellent. Young played two incredibly well-executed fantasies by David Kellner that I'd never heard, and a stunning suite number one originally for solo cello by Max Rieger, and then my favorite on the program, a contemporary work by a Catalan composer, Feliu Gasol, G-A-S-U-L-L. It was really interesting. It used almost every technique I can think of on the guitar. And for lack of a better way to describe it, it was a little bit like flamenco gone avant-garde. Because I can't find a recording of her playing that one, let's hear her play something else in that avant-garde idiom. How about the first two of Henza's Dry Tentos off her album titled simply Solo Laura Young?
The last player I want to introduce you to is Angelo Desiderio. He totally blew me away with his playing, and some of his musical choices were totally shocking. But don't take it from me. Here are some impressions from after the concert, starting with my friend Steve Lockbaum. Steve actually has a tattoo of the opening measures of Bach's Chaconne on his forearm. If that's not representative of the modern classical guitar player, I don't know what is. I'm a DMA student at the University of North Texas, studying with uh, Tom Johnson. So yeah, the, uh, the concert, when you're looking at the program, you know, it looks like all these guitar standards, you know, very traditional pieces that you hear. And you think, is this going to be boring? Is all of the same thing? But then, you know, just like a, a great romantic pianist or violin player, you know, they can do a whole concert of that music and just leave you wanting more and more and more. I could listen to three more hours of that and not get bored. Sungman, I'm DMA student at Eastman. Dude, it was awesome. It was extremely imaginative. And honestly, I think musically, I wouldn't do 90% of the things he does, but I think just the imagination is so artistic. Jeremy Bass. I am starting my DMA at uh, the University of Kentucky. It was, it was amazing. I've never heard somebody take so much time and play so dramatically, go from such extremes. Since a lot of them are very standard repertoire, I was hoping he would do some creative things, which he did. Dave Walker. Dave Walker. I'm a lutenist, actually. Lutenist. Nobody got mad that he was doing like crazy stuff. Well, don't ask that. anybody that. Mad, they just left. Don't they ask that. Yeah. I can offer I that, that opinion. That like I loved his sound. His sound was incredible. His control was great. The dynamics were amazing. I, the phrasing didn't go so well for me. Um, I don't know. It was just a little too wild and all over the place. I, it's like the narrative, when he plays, it's like the narrative slows down and then time gets expanded and then it gets sped up. It's sort of like an elasticity yes. that's very unexpected. And I felt like after a while, I was just begging for him to play something straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I felt about it. Uh, Michael Rimes, Pensacola. Pensacola. University of West Florida. BA in guitar performance. Nice to meet you. Guys. I would like to retort to uh, to his comment. Oh, go for it. I th I think it was it was very bold of him to leave so much room for silence in between phrases, and also very bold of him to not be afraid to have such an extreme range of dynamics where it could be so almost inaudibly quiet and also boomingly loud at the in in the same piece. I thought it was. Amazing. I'm Scott Sigel, and I uh, attend Rhone University as well. Studied with Kathleen Mays, and now I'm studying with uh, Daniel Boring. Claudio, Claudio Zangirolami of Texas Guitar Gallery. Well, I simply think that ultimate critic is the public. I looked around, and I saw everyone enjoying themselves. He, to me, was an, as poetic as I've heard anyone sound. Perhaps, you know, the most. Uh, those long pauses, which to me are essential as they give the public an opportunity to breathe in and take in what they've been listening to. So often today's young students of classical guitars go 100 miles per hour without ever stopping. I feel that the audience is there with them holding their breath all along. <laughs> Never with a chance to breathe. Because the guitar is such an instrument that allows this to happen. Where if you play a wind instrument, you have to breathe once in a while and stop for that purpose. Which brings me to think of the joke that the best guitar player is the one that wears glasses. Because once in a while he has to reach in and push them up. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Thank you, right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's hot out here. Seems like a theme developing, right? The most traditional repertoire played in a totally original way. Sometimes to a point that the original idea even becomes obscured. We thought I was sitting next to an expert of Giuliani, and he was up in arms because of all the licenses that Agnello took. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling along the lines that no, Carulli, Giuliani were great performers that perhaps would never play the piece exactly the same way. And being Italians, they would certainly be very dramatic. Eventually I had a chance to speak with Agnello on this subject, and he had this to say. Once 
Leo Brower told me, the work of composer finish when we write the last nota. And then our pleasure start when we see what the player find and feel about our composition. No? Uh -huh. So, uh, of course, you know, I come from Napoli, south of Italy, and I'm completely sure that uh, the culture of each one of us, it's so important when we are on the stage. No? I cannot be fake when I am there. No? Mm -hmm. So whenever I feel something which will not destroy totally what, what is in the score, mm. then I need to do. But Legenda is also a kind of... Uh, Deconstruction, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah I needed to find something. No? Uh -huh. I love this piece. I played since I was right. really young. And, uh, you know, I had my last CD. I, it's called Spain, no? And I play um, Leyenda with percussion. Just uh, congas. Congos? Si, si, si. And ah. different kind of other percussion, the triangle and uh, huh. the water drum. I'll be playing the version of Asturias Agnello described here on his full-length All Strings episode, as it's quite a long piece. And here I'm going to play you the first movement of Torina's Sonata for Guitar, which was also on his GFA program. You'll definitely hear all that elasticity of rhythm and originality of interpretation in this one.
mean, as, as, as Anielo's uh, representative for the Americas, I, I think it's uh, a momentous event, you know, and, and thank you so much for, for interviewing him, and it's, yeah. it's going to be awesome. You know, we are already uh, lining up things for the fall of 14 and the spring of 15, so anybody interested can uh, reach me at uh, PRConcertArtists at Gmail. We want to take him everywhere that he can play in the, in the States. Thank you so much. Alright, so hello there class and welcome to ASC 101. Today we're going to get two little tidbits from a pair of the technique workshops I saw at GFA this year. Zoran Dukic and Scott Tennants. I was especially surprised by the warm-up routine in Zoran's workshop, which was designed to give us more access to playing fast. He began by saying the reason all flamenco players are faster than classical players is twofold. First, from the very beginning, they use the extensors in their hands far more than classical players do, by playing rasciados, and secondly, they use the little finger far more than classical players. So he created some easy exercises to work those extensors. I did three of the many simple and kind of strange exercises he gave the class, and found that my right hand felt great afterwards. Ready? So we're only going to use just two fingers on our right hand, our little finger, which he called L, and our ring finger, A. Okay, number one. We do a C major scale, no open strings, alternating L and A. He said over and over again not to worry about the tone. The little finger is not one he uses in concert, it's just something he does in practice. Number two. Downward strum with L, downward strum with A, then back up with L, and back up with A, and then repeat. So it's L, A, L, A, down, down, up, up. And again, it's L down, A down, and then L back up, A back up. These should be done very lightly. And then number three. This one is the most awkward feeling. Again, no need to really make a good sound. It's strictly an exercise. So this is our C major scale again, only we'll be playing like our fingers are picks. Start with L and prepare the back of the nail under the string and then extend the finger out completely. It's a little like doing a rasciato on a single string. You just prep on the string and flick away. Then we do our C major scale, repeating each note three times. L-A-L-A-L-A. So alternating those two fingers in threes. L-A-L-A-L-A. Hello. And now on to Scott Tennant. Bonjour. Speaking on what ended up being a tremolo workshop. I've done that same workshop a few times now. It's something that people seem to want to know about. Everybody wants to be able to play Recuerdos or has tried to play it, and I'm still trying to play it. But uh, the idea is that, you know, our standard classical tremolo, P-A-M-I, is essentially it's an arpeggio on one string. I found that people that have trouble with their tremolo also have trouble with just your standard, you know, P-A-M-I arpeggio. It's really weird, but it's, uh, it's almost across the board if they're having trouble with the tremolo, they have trouble keeping up a steady PAMI arpeggio too. So we work on the arpeggios first, mm. you know. And usually I find out that they're not really incorporating arpeggios into their into their practice. So I kind of oh. make a point of talking about the importance of, of the arpeggios. He gave me a cool and easy little way to convert that PAMI arpeggio into tremolo. You start with P, your thumb, on the fourth string. I, of course, is index, goes on the third string. M, your middle, goes on the second string. And A, your ring finger, on the first. So very typical arpeggio, thumb on the fourth string, A, M, I. And then you just play straight four note groups. Then you move your I finger over to the second string. So then M and I are actually both playing the same string. So you do that for a while, and then, leaving your I on the second string, you move M to the first. So now A and M are sharing a string. And then, finally, you move I over to the first string as well. So now all three fingers are on the first string, and your thumb is still playing the fourth, and you've got tremolo. Tremolo. 
Okay, so now that class is over, let's hear some music. The concert Zoran Dukic and Scott Tennant gave were both wonderful, both full of humor, and both created a very nice informal atmosphere that put everyone in the audience at ease. Since both players are seemingly without technical limits, you might expect their programs to be chock full of fast and difficult pieces. And there were certainly challenging pieces on their programs, but they also included a fair number of unapologetically simple, lyrical, and modest pieces of music. It was truly lovely. I'm going to play you a little music from both artists. The first will be from Dukic's album of Tedesco's Caprichos de Goya. This will be number three, titled Nadie Se Conoce, so no one knows themselves. And then, Scott Tennant, playing one of my favorites of his to see live, is Ruiz Pipo's Cancion y Danza, so song and dance.
Okay, so while we are on the topic of technique, let me introduce you to someone I met at GFA that has embarked on a new book project in that same regard. Hello, Scott and friends from All Strings Considered. This is David Chapman of Modesto Junior College. We have a fairly strong guitar department for the first two years. Many times I actually get students that are not very comfortable in how they practice or they just believe that starting a piece and going as far as they can and then going back to the beginning again is the best way of practicing. In teaching over about 12 or 13 years that I've been there, I've come up with different ways of doing this, but I always find out that it is after being in a master class that my student finally starts doing what I have been asking him to do for a year or so. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to actually have a book of master's class advice from some of the great players in the world. And um, I decided to call this Smart Practicing. At the Louisville Festival, I chatted with many people and topics range wildly from legato in performance. You also have the idea of improvisation. I interviewed Randall Avers and we just had a great session. So many different things, you know, why stay with music in this society that is so enamored with financial gain? I am learning a lot as I do it, and I hope that other people get to enjoy this as well. Shoot me emails. Tell me who would you like me to interview next for this book, and what would you like me to ask him? If you do have some questions for David, send him an email at chapmand at mjc.edu. I also want to introduce you to Evan and Orlai from Segunda Pratica. Pratica is P-R-A-T-T-I-C-A. They are doing online publishing and got the ball rolling really quickly on one of my arrangements, and I wanted to give them a little shout out. Hello, my name is Evan Drummond. And Orlai Alonso. We started this company because we were putting together a program for an upcoming concert at Carnegie and making a bunch of arrangements. We started to discover that the contracts that are out there today for the artists that are doing this kind of work are not in their favor, but are in favor of the publishing houses. So we as performers and educators thought we can do it better. So we spent the last year devising ways that better served the purpose and were more genuine to the, the cause of the artist, performer, teacher, more than the economic returns. We are not exclusive. 65 to the artist artist in 35 to Seconda Pratica, which is unmatched by a large margin. You also keep the rights to your music. In a nutshell, Seconda Pratica's mission is to revolutionize the music publishing industry by making it as simple and as accessible as possible. Keep on creating new music making arrangements, writing methods that are based in information that we know to be good. All of these things are going to set forth another generation of guitarists that is going to be exceptional and help promote the instrument and bring it to its high levels and onward. The last portion of today's show will focus on a couple of the chamber music groups we heard this year. Let's start with an all-strings-considered exclusive, a recording of the live improvisation that Les Frères Meduse did at their concert Hello. this year. Hello, it's Hello. me. Uh, Randy Avers. Yeah, Benoit Albert. And uh, we're the Frères Meduse. Les Frères Meduse. Yeah, he, and what just, does that uh, just like he said. Medusa Brothers. The Medusa Brothers. And, and in French, yeah. Les Frères Meduse, there is a... There is a kind of mythical aspect with Medusa and uh, the, the idea of the music can strike you, you know, like, uh, so this is the, this is, yeah. there is several di dimensions to the, to the idea. It can oh. be fun, but also it's, it can be profound. Well, we did, uh, we did two programs here. The opening night after Marcin's concert, yeah. we played a, a film. We wrote a film score to the 1927 film, The Unknown, yeah. 1,940 <laughs> bars of music. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a long, long production. Yeah. It's a mix between the recent pieces like Granada or Tonadilla from Rodrigo. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. We took some elements from the Granada, for example, and we twisted them to, to, to go into the, to fit into the mood. And, uh, mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. And what's the movie about? Oh, the movie's about yeah. uh, an armless knife thrower that falls in love with the uh, daughter of the, yeah. the circus owner. And she hates men's hands. So he's armless, so therefore he's no threat to her. But, you know, we <laughs> but, find out that he actually does have arms and he's a thief and a murderer. And he's faking that he and doesn't have arms? And he's faking that he doesn't have arms, so uh, the plot just gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. It's just downwards spiral from there. You're going to have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, two days after that, we played the duo concert. and uh, Premiere and also uh, a piece uh, from Randall and two pieces from me. So we're composing also. And, and the thing that we we improvising on stage, it's like a free improvisation. Mm -hmm. Begin, And this was funny because it began with the tuning. Ding. 
that was part of the improv. Yeah. Yeah, it started with that. It's it's when you say improv, and then you hear the first thing that you hear is somebody tuning. Yeah. It's, it's like part of yes. It. Yeah. Well, those are a couple notes, so that's fair game. So we started playing off of that, and then it just developed nice. into yeah. different characters and yeah. took different directions. Yeah. Basically. So here's Les Frères Meduse doing their improvisation from one of their concerts at GFA. I was going to play you a little bit of Cavatina Duo's interview and a piece, but I'm feeling like I've already stretched some attention spans. So I'm going to save Cavatina Duo for their own episode and end with a piece from the Tantalus Quartet. Before I leave you with that, let me just say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. I hope you were as inspired by this year's GFA as I was. It was one of my absolute favorites. Hi, my name is Chris Anderson. I'm a member of the Tantalus Quartet. 
and I'm going to talk to you about my piece Ignis Fatuae. So what I did is create a little story about a young boy and compose the, this piece around it. The title Ignis Fatuae, uh, sometimes referred to as Willow the Wisp or Foolish Fire, are the mysterious lights sometimes seen in swamps or marshes during dark hours. Traditionally, they're thought of as being from the spirit world. These ghostly lights were seen by travelers at night. We're going to hear the third and final movement of Chris's piece, and you'll get the full story and the other two movements on their episode. Until next time, here's the third movement. Entitled Fiesta, Danger. In this final movement, uh, there are elements of flamenco rhythm played simultaneously with this sort of relentless alarm type sound. Uh, fragments of the theme are traded, imploded, they're exploded. Uh, it all comes crashing together to begin, finally, the rather meditative section of the piece. So, I hope you dig it.
This is all strings considered. Do it together. This is, this is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> we can't, we're a duo, so we can't do this together. This is all strings considered. 